This episode of AVXL is recorded on February 8th, 2018. We're going to talk about CES, the passing of ultraviolet, some amazing screens, some beautiful audio, and so many air motion transformers. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to Navy Excel, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear. No matter what your budget is, I'm Patty Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. And we have a lot to talk about. Uh, Too much. We should be have been talking about CES a couple weeks ago. But before we get to that, let us discuss one of my least favorite video services of all time. Drumroll, please. Ultraviolet is going away. Oh, I put this down simply because whether out of habit or necessity or just curiosity, I buy discs, I buy movies, and a lot of the movies I buy will include that coupon right? for Ultraviolet, where you can redeem the code and then either watch it through the Ultraviolet service or through many other supported services, including folks like Voodoo, Fandango Now, Kaleidoscape, right. and a couple others. Just to let everyone know, the service is actually closing down on July 31st, 2019, but fear not, don't unlink or close your Ultraviolet <laughs> library. If you've been collecting those codes or you plan to use a few of those codes to add those movies that you purchased to your online streaming abilities, yeah, definitely don't close it, but do visit their website, myuv.com. They also have a nice fact page that goes over everything. After July 31st, you'll still be able to redeem those codes, although they may be locked to a particular retailer right. and their playback mechanism. Whereas right now, you just simply add those to your library and whoever you've linked it to you're able to watch through there. I, I typically use it with Voodoo. Right. It's just easy. And, well, and I can access it just about anywhere. I tend to buy some of my favorite movies, so when I'm using those coupon codes, I'm typically adding movies I really like right. to my collection. It is no Netflix. It is a DIY kind of thing, but still. Well, if, if you're taking advantage of it, check it all out and make sure your stuff's all correct and linked properly before the end of July. One of the things that is kind of cool is Movies Anywhere. Uh, oh, yeah. MoviesAnywhere.com, which brings your iTunes, the, basically the, the the movies you own on iTunes, Prime Video, uh, Vudu. I want to say they've added Xfinity. There's some Google Play, Microsoft Movies and TV, Fandango Now. This one amazing morning, I woke up after signing up for Movies Anywhere, and A, they gave me some free movies for signing up, which is always a plus. There's a Jason Bourne movie in there, always a plus. Stuff I'd purchased on Amazon Prime or iTunes was now available on both Amazon Prime Prime and iTunes. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that was really nice. I mean, that was like one of those weird... I forget what I own on Amazon sometimes. And the only <laughs> time I ever see that content is when I'm actually logged into their video app. Yeah. So. It's not for every movie company, right? 20th Century Fox, Sony Pictures, Universal, Disney, and uh, the WB, or as they say, West, you know, the Warner Brothers are all part of that. So it won't be your entire collection. Right. But what's something you can do is if you, one stop, put a date in your calendar as going through my Blu-rays and looking for the code day and go through your Blu-rays and look for, or, or, you know, quite frankly, go through your Blu-rays and rip them and encode them to whatever format you want if you're more of a DIY kind of camper. But True. you can go through, find all the Movies Anywhere codes, find the iTunes codes, find the whatever codes, find the ultraviolet codes, start entering those in. You can take the ultraviolet codes and you can enter those in, create a Voodoo account, enter the ultraviolet codes in the Voodoo account, then create a Movies Anywhere account that'll replicate your Voodoo account, and then you can take you may the link it all ultraviolet, you know, by way of Voodoo into movies anywhere, which will then, yes, ladies and gentlemen, put them through iTunes or Prime Video or Voodoo or blah 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 blah. Myuv.com slash fac. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, you know, not all the movie producing. 
companies, but no. But if that's your way of enjoying, of you know, some of the collection that you've collected mm-hmm. and purchased, disc wise, that's just it's like a little freebie they give you right in the jewel case. And it's yeah. like you know what, cool. I'm able to watch this streaming on a mobile device or something if I want to. You know, there's I, I, it's I, cool. I was laughing. It's not for everybody. Though. I've been meaning for a while to go through because there's a bunch of stuff where it was like a three pack where I wanted the Blu-ray, but the only one that was in the store or the one that was immediately available was like the Blu-ray and the DVD oh, and the digital code or the Blu-ray packs. and the, yeah. Give me every format. Oh my goodness. All the formats. I will say too, display week 2019 is coming up Ooh. in middle of May. Road trip. In San Jose. Short so road trip. don't even have to fly to this one. <laughs> I am looking forward to seeing more AK screens. The last display week we took a look at was down in San Diego, I believe, last year. Yeah. That's where I had a chance to look at one of the first 8K QDOG screens, the Quantum Dot on Glass from Samsung they were demoing. Tons of flexible OLED displays. And I'm sure there's going to be more and more Quantum Dot stuff. That was also where it was one of the first hands-on experiences I had with the P-Series Quantum television mm-hmm. as well that's now super popular and on sale at places like Costco and whatnot. But that's a, it's a small trade show, very technical, but there is always cool display tech there. And I'm looking forward to having, like you said, a 45-minute drive to beautiful San Jose. Well, if you leave at 6 or if you leave at 10, oh. not if you leave between 6.45. Oh, no. I'm not, not dealing with the traffic. <laughs> Hell no. And sp- speaking of cool display, and this kind of ties back into something I was looking for at CES back in January, but didn't see a sign of on the show floor, were Samsung's OLED screens. Yes, OLED, not QLED. Oh, I heard you. Samsung is bringing OLED screens to notebooks, and the initial size is going to be a 15.6-inch screen with 4K resolution, meeting the 600-nit max brightness and 100% DCI-P3 color. Hmm. I am just going to be super curious to see who is the first to offer a notebook with an OLED of that specific size, knowing that it's probably going to be Samsung's. And Samsung is apparently going with that blue OLED emitter that's been making the news of late, paired with a quantum dot color filter. I'm looking to see demos with notebooks later this year. The companies in the know seem to suggest that it's going to be 2020 before we get a TV size screen using this quantum dot technology, enhancing OLED materials right. to make even more impressive, robust, colorful displays using that beautiful OLED technology we all know and love. <laughs> now, another place that we expect to see more more and more quantum dot materials being integrated is into the micro LED displays, including things like Samsung's The Wall, which this week they introduced an 8K version of this screen at 292 inches. That's over 24 feet. So if you're looking to have the ultimate home theater with superb brightness, perfect black level, 100% DCI-P3, and... I'm laughing right now because... It's probably a million-dollar display, but... I had experience on Tech Thing. I I reviewed a 49-inch ultra-wide curved monitor from Dell, and it turns out, yes, Virginia, there is an ultra-wide monitor that is too wide for me to be comfortable using on a desktop, and I've turned my head too much. Yeah. There was was total tennis match effect on this one, but 24... I mean, think about the size of the room you would need. Right. It's a big display. This is using their tiling technology, so you could scale it down. But mm-hmm. I'm assuming that 292-inch size is what you need to scale it to in order to hit the 8K resolution. Still, you consider some of their theater installations over the last couple of years. Those have right. been 4K installations. They're now, prior to the second half of this year, going to have an 8K screen of similar size, 24-foot. You could make one hell of a small movie house with that. <laughs> Let yeah. me encourage anyone 
Seeking the ultimate in home theater. Yeah, price, if you have to ask, I, who knows? I'm going to guess a million bucks for the 292-inch version. <laughs> 24 feet of quantum dot-enhanced LED display goodness. They are actually, in this case, Samsung is likely using blue LEDs. And those are being run through a quantum dot color converter. So the blue light just transmits through as something very close to what that DCI-P3 color spec would be. And then the quantum dots are used then to convert some of that energy into red and green light for the red and green subpixels. This just makes, I think you're going to see this be applied to LED displays, outdoor signage, and things like that in the future, just to help increase the simplicity of the design rather than using red, blue, and green LEDs right. to create these displays where you have different voltages and different characteristics for those materials. This, you're able to then source one specific blue LED, pair it up with the quantum dot materials needed to fine tune it. And it one will... backlight to rule them all still... and then the darkness bind them. Once you get to 24 feet, yeah, you're talking like a million bucks or something like that, but it's still, still. This is going to be neat tech. You know? Well, at that point, it's, it's a million dollars it. for your screen in your $3 million bunker that has three-foot-thick concrete walls and flooring because that's what it takes to absorb the sound of diesel trucks going by, your fantastic multi-million dollar studio. I mean, I'm down with it. I'm more excited, though, by the notebooks. Just seeing someone else besides <laughs> LG get an OLED screen into the market. Right. On something other there than a phone. Go. True. True that. And speaking of that quantum dot on glass design I saw last year at Display Week at CES, uh-huh. HP did show off a new desktop display using that quantum dot on glass, uh, the HP Pavilion 27. And that is the first, as far as I know, to actually offer that tech in there. So if you want to live on the cutting edge of an ultra-thin display that actually uses glass... I think the biggest advantage of that glass substrate really is for heat, more than anything. You can thin the designs down, of course, make them even thinner because you're using a tougher material. But I think for mitigating heat, especially as we push these new standards on desktop and mobile displays for increased brightness, it will only help. We talked a bit about CES last episode. If you're looking at TVs and just feeling kind of punchy, who won CES? I mean, TCL doesn't seem to have lost its crown. Hisense may have had the most interesting technology demo. I agree. Uh, not a, No huge leaps from LG or Samsung. Uh, you know, I've also been amused. LG did introduce the new 9 series for their OLEDs. Right. And I will say, knowing what they did to improve upon the 8 series, it's a lot of under-the-hood stuff. Right. But at the same point, I, it's going to be very similar in performance to what the 2018 TVs were. But it's neat to see them focus so critically and critique their own products in a way where they're finding some arcane little issues and nuking them. And it's become a very mature, massaged product. Mm -hmm. We'll see going forward in terms of things like known issues in terms of, you know, uneven pixel wear, aka burn-in and other issues like that for the 2019 TVs. But there wasn't anything groundbreaking there unless you count the roll-up TV that everyone loved. But I've been laughing because I'd rather have a 77-inch screen than a 65-inch roll-up if they're about the same price. But you also, you know, you don't live in a small apartment. I also, I mean, I found it fascinating just... Wall them out. I don't, well, I don't, I don't get, I mean, you know me, I don't particularly get giddy about products anymore except for the occasional headphone or something or speaker. But, you know, I was looking at that thing, and I was like a kid, like that's just so cool. Look at it, it like a, you know. And uh, it's a nice replacement for like a a decent sound system, yeah. With a TV that happens to scroll up out of it, and yeah. and, and all it's the not smart a stuff small sound bar by any stretch oh, of the no. imagination. It's a bit uh, of a block. But that was is. that was pretty cool. 
For everyone who has sent a tweet or posted a YouTube comment or sent an email being like, roll-up TVs are stupid, I hear you. It was just fascinating to watch, and yeah. the screens are gorgeous. And yeah. I will say LG, I think, had the coolest booth display <gasps> where they I, they must have had 200-plus 55-inch screens creating yeah. uh, basically a, the a wave screens. effect. Yeah, and that was the crazy because it, it curved sort they of, you know, it was like a big it. Bezier curve that was 25 feet high Giant and wave. 60 yards wide uh, with these huge, unbelievably gorgeous I think they uh, had the prettiest booth. Landscapes. It, it's hard not to... <sighs> The crowd around that scene, right at the beginning of their booth, where those 262 displays are creating yeah. that, that that visual, it was impressive looking. I will say <laughs> that. I was just as thrilled though with LG's new dual color short throw laser projector. That thing, mm-hmm. that thing looked great. I like the fact that they're already stepping up the dual color systems to improve the color saturation of a laser based. And in the same theme, Hisense showing off their 100L7T 4K trichroma laser TV. A 3500 lumen RGB laser system that they're claiming will hopefully appear before the end of the year in beta form and we can get our hands on it. But that will be the first RGB laser projector I've seen anywhere close to retail consumer pricing. Interesting. That's going to be freaking fantastic. Also, you mentioned too some of the cooler tech I saw as far as LCDs go. And I may have mentioned this in the previous episode, but Hisense did show off a hybrid LCD television that had a 4K screen with a 1080p LCD behind it. And the 1080p LCD was used to help modulate the light coming from the backlight system. So you had better granularity for backlight control. And it appeared to be working fantastic. Granted, I don't know what the losses are running that light through another LCD stacked on top of one, but Mm -hmm. still... The impressive ability to provide better backlight controlling and approach something looking more like an OLED out of an LCD technology really kind of caught the eye. Over in the Samsung booth, they did not show off a new model. However, in a private meeting I had with them, they did show off the technology that will be the 4K successor to the current Q9FN LCD flagship, if you're not including their rather pricey 8K QLED screens that are now available, uh, at least at 65 inches. One thing that Samsung is really improving upon is off-axis viewing. And in a side-by-side comparison with the Q9FN and a few other TVs, this 4K successor, it was noticeably better than what they had did even last year. It it was superior off-axis viewing comparably. I I can't actually wait to see this in a final retail version. If Samsung can hold to this, they're going to have a very bright display with one of the best backlighting systems I've seen. Well, I guess we'll have to wait a couple more months before we can actually get (laughs) eyeballs on it. Did you say engineers from other companies were rolling into the Hisense booth with test gear to examine that, that 4K 1080p hybrid? Yeah, that was probably one of the funniest things and they seem kind of proud of that as well (laughs) i personally witnessed the trio of sony engineers spend at least an hour staring at its pixels and measuring with everything they could bring over portably (laughs) and then hisense actually claimed that all of the big manufacturers including samsung and others uh, dropped by take a gander at what they were doing with that somebody else said something kind of similar so there was probably more than one company working on this kind of tech but it could be a very affordable way of being able to utilize LCD technology to better minimize annoying artifacts like blooming and halos, especially on dark background scenes when you're looking at them with an LCD, let alone when you get right. a little bit off axis and everything kind of goes to hell. One of the companies, I think I said before, like it seems like TCL is winning CES in some ways because there didn't seem to be a challenger for the quality they've been delivering on the 6 Series at that price point. 
I don't think anybody wants to be there other than TCL, frankly. It looks like they're primed to be the sub-thousand dollar 4K HDR television to buy for another year. They came out with the 6 Series last year. That was quite impressive. And for this year, the 6 Series may gain Quantum Dot. Which I think is a big deal, and I'll get into that in a second. But the other TV they showed off was their new 8 Series that has Quantum Dot Color. And that might be one of the biggest complaints I have about their TVs is once you have Quantum Dot technology in the screen, the TV is capable of generating a wider color palette that simply looks better. I'm really looking forward to the new 8 Series. Another demo I saw, granted this was from Nanosys, the Quantum Dot company. Sure. But it was a side-by-side comparison with the 6-series TV and something like, say, the P-series Quantum that uses Quantum Dot technology, whereas the current 6-series, or at least the 2018 model, used the LED phosphor technology to create a wide color gamut. And there was a particular artifact related to these TVs that use this wide color gamut, white LED. The materials within that quote-unquote white LED include a phosphor material that drives red, and it isn't the same speed in terms of its excitation and and its decay time. It's actually a lot slower. It takes longer to ramp up to full brightness, and and after it's on, it actually trails off slower than the others. So with anything moving on the screen, particularly white objects, in this case, we're using a demo of a soccer ball, you would see a cyan leading edge and a magenta trailing edge. This was not hard to actually visualize. Once you see it happening on the screen, right. it was just like, you, you can't unsee it. <laughs> and the thing, oddly enough, I noticed that even in static graphics, like white text on the screen or HUD graphics in video games, uh-huh. if you quickly glance side to side, you would see the same kind of color breakup effect. Reminded me a lot, really, of what you would see with color wheels in, oh, in, wow. in value DLP projectors where if you glanced around too much in a very contrasted scene, you would see this kind of color breakup. I would think gamers would notice this more than most folks because A, they're staring at the screen quite intently, but especially if you have static HUD graphics and you are looking around the screen quite a bit, you may notice that the color appears to break up a little bit as you're transitioning your vision across the screen. Whereas with something like a quantum dot screen where the red, the blue, and the green materials excite literally on top of each other and there is no delay you don't have that kind of warping color effect that you get with these enhanced led screens that aren't using quantum dot materials oh wow and going forward my recommendations for most folks are going to be more on the quantum dot side of things than they would be for the wide color gamut leds that are out there in more value tvs and it's good to see more manufacturers actually making this transition too it's a minor artifact but if you're into either fast action scenes or sports and video games and things like that, that's where this artifact can appear. And you you may just think that's the way it's supposed to look, but you don't even realize the TV is actually introducing an artifact into the video stream that shouldn't be there to begin with. Oh, wow. I just want to point out that one of the great downsides of, of watching video with you is you see all these things and then you've educated me about them. And then there's certain things like I cannot unsee, but the upside is like there's certain effects like... My next projector won't do that. And it doesn't. <laughs> well, I want to say, I, I definitely wasn't the first person to spot this. I got to say the folks over at Ratings, they saw this artifact and had no idea what was going on or what, what it was per se, if it was the right. video source or what. Competitors love to analyze these kinds of flaws. And, <laughs> and sure Ours enough. Ours doesn't do this. And sure enough, boom. Good, oh my goodness. Uh, good quantitative analysis from the folks over at uh, Nanosys. 
Oh, man. Not a good quantitative analysis, but kind of fascinating to watch is Netflix is losing Marvel, which brings, you know, pain to my life for any of a number of reasons, just because it's nice to have the Marvel movies show up on Netflix. But of course, uh, Disney's peeling out from Netflix and Disney's starting their own streaming service. And one of the interesting things is Netflix has spawned lots of competitors. Netflix has spawned lots of responses from the studios. A lot of the studios have come up with their own alternatives, pound movies anywhere. One of the big ones has, of course, been Disney being like, we are buying all of the things. We have all of the money. An article I read a couple of weeks ago that showed up in a bunch of places, Disney is already losing over a billion in streaming and its Netflix competitor has yet to launch, which is like just the that's most- a good tax write-off. That's a, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I was like, CNBC had this article up. <laughs> and between the stake in Hulu, the ownership of BamTech, right, which is the, the streaming company that is the back end for Major League Baseball, it will be the back end for Disney streaming NHL, services. Many video streamers love you know, BamTech. Yeah, they're going to lose revenue when they peel off from Netflix, but it's going to take a while to get their system started up. Um, and it's just a, it's a reminder that this stuff is complicated and painful. To put this in perspective, Netflix now has 139 million subscribers around the world. Netflix's delete expletive huge. They are the gorilla. They are the gorilla. Deservedly. Yeah, and Netflix is expected to spend something in the neighborhood of $10 billion for movies and shows and Good. their own productions. Yeah, which is great because they do some amazing stuff. Give me some more Black Mirror. Oh, my goodness. I need I, my Bandersnatch. That just scares me so much, that show. Um, <laughs> You know, and, and the kind of the side effect of that, or one of the other stories that came out in the last couple of weeks, is so Netflix has officially joined the MPAA, the Motion Picture Association of America, pound, that's the Oscars, oh. um, you know, the, alongside Disney and Paramount and Sony and Fox and Universal and Warner Brothers. I'm Roma, sure they love that. <laughs> Netflix's movie Roma is up for a Best Picture Oscar. And then a bunch of the theater chains decided to, as they put together sort of the Oscar picture showcases, they've decided to refuse to play Roma. Or as AMC, the theater chain said, this year Academy members nominated a film that was never licensed to AMC to play in our theaters. As such, it is not included in the AMC Best Pictures Showcase. AMC, Regal, and Cinemark were all refusing to put Roma in their Oscar Best Picture screening festivals. When you start to look at it, they control, you know, I did the math, and of course I, I lost the sheet of paper I did the math on, <laughs> but I think they control 70, somewhere between 70 and 90% of the screens in the United States. I believe it. We affectionately discuss the pissing contest over uh, streaming content. They are not going away anytime soon. But now we have this like <laughs> cold war between theater owners and the people who distribute their content everywhere yeah. but in the theaters. Yeah. So, uh, whatever. I would not be surprised at Netflix's response because Netflix has 139 million subscribers around the world and a fair amount of money to burn. I'm sure they will go out of their way. I, I would not be surprised. It would be politic and thoughtful of Netflix to basically be like, you know what? You know, we're now part of the MPAA. We're going to make sure you get a run for every movie. You know, we launch. The Good. theater owners may tell them to, to go bite themselves. But, you know, I don't think Netflix wants to alienate anybody that can help them make a better product, make their product more available. But it's going to be really curious to watch this. Spotify bought Pandora last summer. There's all sorts of craziness going on with streaming music. Um, Cobuzz is finally going to launch in the United States as a competitor to Tidal and Spotify. There's a lot going on in content and Sirius streaming. Sirius bought Pandora. Yeah, Sirius. Sorry, Sirius bought Pandora. I keep wanting to say Spotify bought Pandora. <laughs> Spotify launched a podcasting. It's decided to bring podcasting on board. There's just 
there's a lot going on. I mean, you can basically guarantee that the NFL is going to silo their content and Major League Baseball is going to silo their content. And everything you think of in terms of scripted and non-scripted television and theater, it's going to be a giant knife fight for the next couple of years. My goal, though, is to not have to pay for 27 different streaming services to see all the movies, which brings me back to Blu-rays and why I don't plan on stopping. I simply would just soon. like to see content creators like Netflix yeah. have a fair shot at some of the most prestigious awards in cinema and filmmaking. If they come up with content so compelling, yeah, and just because it's not in a movie theater, maybe then they really need to sit down with the movie theaters and say, right. hey, look, how about whatever... We will have a Netflix movie of the month or whatever. Right, that's something. They can, they can come to something where they don't have to. Eat. I just, I feel like they can help each other. If movies anywhere <laughs> can work together, certainly Netflix and the and then the theaters. And it's not like I go to a lot of movies in theaters because it is too goddamn expensive to go with my family. It is painfully expensive. I, as, you know, as a single person, I, yeah, you know, I, I'll take advantage of it. But usually, yeah. it's specific things like, oh, I want to see this in Dolby Vision, right. or I want to see this in, in an amazing sound yeah. system. It's a new Star Wars movie. It's a new, you know, oh, that's probably the last thing I want to. Oh, well, the, yeah, yeah, I hear you. You know, for, with small ex- children in the house. Oh, that's um, yeah. You know, I would like them to see, you know, the the new How to Train Your Dragons movie in a theater. Uh, Um, I hear you. What's interesting is uh, YouTube TV is pretty much nationwide at this point. So YouTube TV was started two years ago. I haven't tried it. I will try it out. I will will take that hit because there is no cable in my life. Um, PlayStation View have had quite a bit of experience with. Absolutely love it. YouTube TV. God, they were the primary sponsors for the Super Bowl this year. Mm -hmm. Oof. Speaking of companies with a lot of money, they are in 98% of the households in the United States. You know, and I like the, the, the subhead on the, the article on The Verge. 98% of U.S. households are covered as of today, with the rest coming soon. Not all markets are going to have all four of the major affiliates, but if you miss cable or if you want a cable alternative in your life and you haven't taken a look at YouTube TV, it's probably worth looking at it oh, because yeah. it's pretty much everywhere at this point. If you have decent bandwidth for your internet service and you're not overpaying for that, and that's that's a decent value for right. you, you can do all your TV now through that same internet connection to a variety of TVs. Yeah. And another reason I love TCL so much, and just Roku TVs in general, right. is that, that simplicity of integrating things like your favorite streaming apps into the primary use of the device. And it, it just works. Oh, my goodness. So- and the quality is fantastic, especially if you have the bandwidth for it. Because it's like, hey, if I'm doing... <laughs> 4K HDR from Netflix, that's almost 16 megabit yeah. for my one little piddly stream at full quality. Be aware. Yeah. Not everything's running like that. Your typical no, streaming stuff is in the three to five range it's as funny. far as megabits go per show or whatever. But it's it's been interesting for me because my ISP, which is a startup that's kind of, it's it's now you know in my town, Alameda, it's also in San Jose. They do a wireless. Uh, I only bring this up because usually I get like 75 up, 75 down. For like fifty bucks a month, like a microwave. But they haven't. It's, well, it's yeah. like a five that, gigahertz yeah. or something. Yeah, Two point four. It's it's a whole <laughs> bunch of radios on a whole bunch of rooftops. Ninety percent of the time, it's fantastic. But I have to start training the family on Saturday movie nights to grab a Blu-ray instead of looking for something on Netflix or iTunes because the this are saturating the pipe. The, the <laughs> pipe is the pipe is is exploding. From the demand on Saturday nights. So at this point, I think you have kind of two televisions shortlisted as your favorites 
for 2018 so far. I would. Well, 20. Well, I should say that your fa- a huge the, year. Yeah, 2018 is over. So, yeah. what were your favorite TVs? In Things you could still buy and still get at a good price right. right now. I would throw down one, the Samsung NU8000 series. That is a fantastic value TV, right. specifically, I think, for anybody who's interested in gaming on one of these sets. Because it, much like the QLED series, specifically like the Q7 on up, this also features automatic game mode as well as variable refresh rate technology. So if you're rolling with an Xbox and you want a TV that supports those kick-ass features to make life a little easier, that's built right in. Right. If you had the extra cash, it's about 900 bucks more on the 70-inch, 75-inch screen size. But their Q7 series does add a superior anti-reflective filter in addition to the Quantum Dot system to provide even better color performance. But it's another eight, 900 bucks for that right. same screen. Otherwise, if you've got the money, something like LG C8 OLED is still, that's, that's their least expensive OLED with their best processor currently, uh, save for the new TVs coming out hmm. later this year. But that also has been price reduced down quite nicely. I mean, we're talking close to Black Friday pricing for both of the TVs I just mentioned. Whether or not you want something a little more robust, I think, especially if you're gaming on it all the time, that NU8000. Otherwise, uh, if you've got the cash, OLED's going to make you happy just staring at it. It's, <laughs> it's one of those kind of screens where it's just like, holy cow. It's so pretty. Especially if you're coming from something like a plasma. Where you're kind of used to good wide angle viewing, decent color saturation and good contrast performance. This just gives you something that's even four to five times brighter, right. thin and light, in addition to having that superb viewing angle. Nice. But it is more expensive. So that's oh. why I threw in the NU8000. Also, too, if you're looking for something like a 75-inch screen or larger, it's very impractical cost-wise to go with OLED. But <laughs> something like the NU8000, I've looked at, I think, the 82-inch they have. That seems to be a really popular set for folks with the appropriately sized living rooms. They also tune up quite nicely, I will say. Tune up beautifully. So do those LG OLEDs too, man. That AutoCal is slowly coming around and making me smile. <laughs> Actually, I'm, I'm traveling tomorrow to go work on one, and I'm expecting to have the AutoCal experience I've been waiting for finally. You were having a lot of emotional so, trauma uh, it was just, for a while. It was, it was quirky. <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. Quirky, I think, is a gracious. Quirky. A gracious synthesis. I'm of, also eyeballing all the new JVC projectors coming out right now. All their new 8K yeah. or 8K. All their new f- true 4K projectors with 8K eShift technology starting, well, that premium 3000 model. Oh. Or is it the NX9? I think it's also called it's like 17, 18, $19,000 for that. <laughs> there's, I mean, there's some, if you have all of the money, I'd if you start, have all of the money, start like there. you go to digital projection, if you, you have most of the money, mm. you know, JVC, I think, is offering a lot of what Sony's offering for a lot less money. If you're a human Don't being more. that wants a better projector. <laughs> it's all relative. I mean, well, I, so for me, it was it was amazing seeing uh, at Cedia the, the Epson Home Cinema 4010, which is you know, their 4K, their pixel shifting 4K. Right. And because they did so many improvements. Uh, it's like a $1,500 projector, isn't it? It's down to 1800 I think it started at two grand, and it's down to 1800 dollars now that's um, 4k resolution well it pixel shift to 4k but okay. but i mean Still. i was i was in a room and i was just like okay they fixed all of the issues i uh you know that was that was the first time i've been like oh i think it may be time to start thinking about upgrading to 4k which is uh probably divorce talk in my house right now uh <laughs> I will be very curious to see where the prices are on these by this summer and what else comes out from Epson this year. But that was a real, like, oh, hey, 4K HDR in the living room is a possibility for me in projector land. 
One of the things that stood out for me at CES this year, I didn't get to see a lot of the stuff I wanted to see this year because there was just a whole bunch of production madness going on in my life. But it was amazing to see a bunch of air motion transformers showing up at speaker manufacturers where I hadn't seen it before. We've talked about it before, but an air motion transformer, I like to think of it as squeezing out the highs. If you've ever looked at the side of an accordion where there's that sort of corrugated effect, I'm just going to read the Wikipedia entry. An AMP diaphragm made of a mylar ribbon bonded with conductive aluminum strips, the equivalent in surface area to a conventional seven-inch cone-type mid-range driver, but accordion folded down to a compact one-and-a-half-inch grouping for point source dispersion. The low-mass diaphragm is suspended with a dipole magnetic field, concentrating an intense field around said diaphragm. When signal current passes through the aluminum strips, the ensuing bellows-like motion of the folded pleats moves air five times faster than a conventional cone driver. This rapid acceleration of air motion is claimed to provide enhanced sound reproduction, including high dynamic range and over a broad frequency range. I get breathy because I just like these things. Um, The thing I noticed with any speaker using these kind of tweeters, right? And I think I miss tweeters. It's just simply they that are tweeters. The 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 dispersion is much wider than yeah. I get with a simple dome tweeter, and that, that's the first thing I notice, and I really appreciate it. And now that it, the design is out of patent, yeah, everyone's switching to these. It seems I couldn't be happier. On affordable speakers, on on up. Yeah, it's not just the super high end. I mean, we're seeing them everywhere now, from like sixty dollars speakers from like Dayton Audio that are interesting, but not my first choice. Right. We've talked about them with Emotiva's T1 and T2. Yeah. By the way, Emotiva's T1 is they're selling out of those because they came out with the T0 at CES. We'll talk about that in a second. There's a sense of space and airiness, like a a well-engineered air motion transformer can do some pretty astonishing things with the high end, the symbols, and all of the signals that helps to give you the audio cues to locate stuff in terms of the soundstage. They're pretty magic when they're running properly. And I also should point out, because I, I did a, a YouTube video about a bunch of this stuff, and a lot of people thought that I thought that air motion transformers were new. It was also funny because one of the person who was like, you know, wrote like a 9,000 word screed. Uh, oh, uh, I exaggerate well, slightly. You can't write well, that many characters. We know they're not new, but YouTube. They also weren't aware of the history yeah, air motion transformers because they first showed up in products with ESS speakers back in 1972. And again, as you mentioned, the patent expired. They started showing up in lots of places. Martin Logan, Golden Ear, Emotiva. I just was kind of, I had never that seen a like... happy day, man. Yeah, actually. And and some pretty amazing sounding speakers. It just seemed like a whole bunch of new ones showed up at CES this year. And I like the way a lot of them sound. Elac's Carina. Elac calls their AMT technology the jet folded ribbon tweeter because I guess space <laughs> it age. It just sounds cool. It does. So Andrew Jones has designed some of my favorite speakers, uh, like the Elac Unify, the Debut 2.0. He did some amazing stuff with some other audio companies over the years. This is his first design with an AMT, and he paired it up with a five and a quarter inch driver, super smooth bass, tremendous kick. On one of the demos I heard was a uh, you know an EDM kind of a dance music thing. Nice. Yeah, and he set them up so they kind of have an angled bottom. There's sort of a built-in stand. They have downward firing ports, so you can get them close to the wall, very similar to what we saw him do with the Elax uh, Debut 2.0. I like it. Those are going to be running $1,200 a pair. Those are going to be really interesting. I can't wait to hear the final version of those. Canto was showing off their Tuck, which they've been demonstrating here and there for a little bit of time. Again, a five and a quarter inch aluminum driver. This is a all-in-one kind of unit where it has Bluetooth, Aptex, uh, has RCA inputs, a USB DAC, and a headphone amp all built into this, kind of like a studio monitor, but a little aesthetically friendlier nice. uh, than, than you might think. Uh, about $800 for the pair. Those are supposed to be shipping now. My phone has Aptex HD. Yes. I'm looking for something to use with it. And Aptex <laughs> HD is really, really impressive. I find myself using wireless more than wired yeah. with an adapter. Yeah. 
which is kind of interesting because I don't have a I don't have a headphone jack anymore on my phone. <laughs> it's funny anyway. how that changes what you can do. Um, Emotiva came out with a new entry in the Emotiva line, the T Zero. Like the T One and the T Two are already favorites of ours. This is a smaller speaker, but it uses the same 25 by 32 millimeter Airmotiv folded ribbon tweeter, aka Airmotion Transformer. The same one as in the bigger speakers. It has two five and a quarter inch drivers, and it's tuned and crossed over like 2500 hertz as a two way. But they engineered each of the five and a quarter drivers a little differently. They look kind of the same, and then you look more closely and you realize they are different. One's tuned for dispersing the mids, the other one is designed to emphasize more pushing bass. Like when you look at these five and a quarter inch drivers, the dust caps are different and that changes how the audio comes off of them. All right. Um, they were announced at $499 a pair, and I'm like, oh, this would be a killer surround for T1s or T2s in the front with their center channel, but they've actually dropped the price to $399. They've dropped the B1 bookshelves, which I believe use the same 25 by 32 millimeter folded ribbon tweeter down to $229 from $300. That, I want to get in for testing because that's going nice. to be a really compelling speaker, I think. And they're closing out the Airmotive T1 at $498. So that's like, I think, $300 plus off what they were selling for. Not too far away in the Venetian was Class A Audio. I can even shout out to Chris Heinen over at Wirecutter who's like, go find Class A Audio because I ran into him in the hallway and uh, he was in awe. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, this is the thing to listen to. He was just like, it's, you know, he's like, I'm never going to need $120,000 worth of gear. But if I had $120,000 a year, kind of, it was one of those moments. So they were showing off their new uh, Delta Monoblocks. Got to have goals. $11,000 each. Ooh. And then they had a pretty mystical pair of like Magico speakers, which I think sell for $42,000 for the That's pair. That's the name? Magico? Magico. And there you go, man. They 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 make some, you know, if, if should I hit the lottery, maybe I'll go shopping for Magico speakers. There was a backstory I heard that I guess Class A was at Rocky Mountain Audio Fest. A bunch of people were like, why did you bring this cartridge with your turntable? Can I play my favorite, you know, Tony Orlando and Dawn album and all oh, this technology? And so the principal at Class A Audio was like, you know what? I'm just bringing my reel-to-reel. And it was a big old TAC reel-to-reel tape deck against the wall. They were playing some jazz, and I was just like, whoa. It was very nice. Um, you know, and it was, you know, a fairly flawless recording, and it was, you know. Right. But it, it was nice. It's a, it's a level of audio. Yeah. It's getting up there. It's getting up there. Uh, and the amplifiers are really interesting because they're 300 watt amps. They do like 30 watts of pure class A power before they kind of cross over into class AB. And if you guys want me to talk about amplifier topologies, I'll yeah, do that. We've but gone over today. it a few times. Uh, yeah. Don't let me put you to sleep again. They're beasts. They have a toroidal transformer the size of a freaking bowling ball inside of it. A lot and, of copper. Uh, and they actually have kind of configured it as a tunnel so they can pull air through it to help keep everything cool. So it was, uh, you know, not audible. It was super quiet, super cool. That was my, like, ridiculous audiophile moment at the show. You know, uh, that and listening to Alva, the new turntable from the crew over at Cambridge Audio. That was probably my favorite 30 minutes at the show. There you go. Uh, was That's listening what it comes down to. to. Don't, it's not so much what the price tag is, but if it, if it truly blows your freaking eardrums away well, in it terms was, of the sound quality and how it impresses you, uh, yeah, then you got to factor in what the cost is eventually, well, but... It's like, I mean, what, so, if, so if somebody asks you, price no object, what was the best thing you listened to? 
You yeah, could, you know, it was. You it got to have one of those answers. <laughs> the, the, you know, the the Class A audio demo was pretty awesome, just from yeah, a pure like, like audio a... porn kind of moment or or audiophile porn kind of moment. The crew at Cambridge Audio, and I may have told this story last week, and if I did, I apologize. But they they did an offsite demo after the show floor closed over at the Hard Rock. So they had a suite at the Hard Rock. There was coffee there. There were adult beverages for the adults in the room, and as the child, I got my coffee. Uh, or the sober child, I got my coffee, which made me very, very happy. And the Alva TT is a turntable they have built, a pretty fantastic turntable that includes Aptex HD. So there's this moment where I'm kind of giggling because they put the turntable into configuration mode and there's the blue LED blinking off the back of it to let you know that you can sync with it. So they demoed it with an album playing to, I want to say Aptex, uh, Aptex HD Plus over a uh, set of headphones. That was impressive. And then they ran it to one of their integrated amplifiers it sells for about five thousand dollars into a big old set of bmw 800 series speakers if memory corrects uh, nice. memory uh, the first album was kind of not my my cup of tea as it were and then they threw on uh wilco's yankee foxtrot and let's 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 in case you haven't figured it out i'm not a vinyl guy i enjoy the process oh. i think at some stage of my life i could get into sort of bin hunting for albums but i'm pretty into digital pretty much all the time and Heck have yeah. been for decades at this point i appreciate album art yeah and, and holding albums is really cool you know at this point i'm listening to this amazing album on this amazing system and the connection between the turntable and the integrated amplifier is wireless. Beautiful. It, it sounded flawless. And at this point, I'm I feel we use feeling words in the group here because this is a safe space. Um, I feel that in many cases it's going to be astonishingly difficult to a b a good wireless connection versus a wired connection. About um, time. You know, I may be on crack or maybe I was just in the optimum situation or maybe it was, you know, the, the, the redecoration of the Hard Rock Cafe and the fact that I wasn't surrounded by, you know, 10,000 screaming things on the show floor. That's going to ship in April, $1,700, not inexpensive, but a really well configured. All you have to do is attach the tone arm and make sure the weight's set properly and it is good to go. That's Sounds awesome. Uh, that's a big plus. That's going to be impressive. I think it's going to come out on like around record store day, but that was pretty impressive. Aptex HD is pretty impressive. Uh, we'll get something running with your, uh, your phone. Um, something that makes me sad and happy and complicated feelings. Lee Unkrich sent out a letter to the crew at Pixar a couple weeks ago. He is leaving Pixar. The reason why uh, it makes me sad is if you're a fan of Coco or Toy Story 3 or any of a number of other creations uh, that came out of Pixar, Coco was his vision. And it is a, a astonishing movie. His directorial debut was Toy Story 3. He co-directed Toy Stories 2. He co-directed Monsters, Inc. He co-directed Finding Nemo. I think Coco is his, his like auteur-like vision for an animated feature, um, which also, by the way, won the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. I just want to give a shout out because uh, he's I've been consuming this man's creations for a really long time. I mean, he was in, started out, as I want to say, as an editor. Uh, he worked on Toy Story, A Bug's Life, Toy Story 2, was when he became the co-director and editor. Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, Cars. He did some additional editorial or editor work. Ratatouille, Toy Story 3. He's uh, been an astonishing force at Pixar. I am happy that he is taking time to be with his family and to enjoy life. This guy spent 25 years at Pixar. Uh, he has delivered some extraordinary stories and some extraordinary images and some extraordinary cinematic experiences. And I just want to say thank you and give a shout out because nice, I'm sad. I'm hoping like he spends a few years and comes up with an idea because Coco is an amazing 
amazing movie. Get the kids off the college. Yeah. We'll, we'll wait for you. We'll wait. We'll be here, man. <laughs> we'll be here. Go take a vacation. Oh, my goodness. Several. Uh, by the way, we talked about they announced the Sonos amp that came out around Cedia. It started shipping early in November. Those are selling for five ninety nine. Ooh, I got the new now, Google Assistant update. I need to add. You, you do need to add that. But they finally announced Sonos by Sonance architectural speakers. Those are official now. Cool. They have some in walls and some exterior speakers. You can basically run, I think, up to four of those off of a single Sonos amp. Not cheap. But they should be really, really good. And one of the things they do is they bring Sonos True Play customization, where you can walk around the room with your phone. Oh, that's awesome. And have it. Uh, DSP the signal going into your room that it will bring it to their outdoor uh, environments amp lineup I don't know uh, if it'll work outdoors yeah, I'd be curious but for the architectural speakers the in-wall speakers it will give you an opportunity that's fantastic we got an interesting question uh, Golden Adam tweeted out at AVXL USB-C to 3.5 millimeter adapters are they all made equal any recommendations for ones that offer superior audio quality looking for a wired connection between my Pixel 3 XL and my Sony WH-1000XM3s and my first thought is like don't bother I spent about an hour digging around and I cannot find a hard answer to the question I have. And the question I have is, if you are, and, and perhaps you could run, Golden Atom, you could run your headphones down till the battery runs out, then plug a headphone cable into them and see if the power from your, say, computer, your laptop, powers the speakers inside of the headphones. But a lot of wireless headphones are engineered so that if you run a cable into them, it takes the signal from the cable, does an analog to digital conversion, and then sends that to the DAC in the headphones and th- into the, oh, you know, the amplifier to the speaker. Not always, but in right. some cases. In my case, with my Pixel 3, I, I immediately realized the earbuds were just not... The earbuds are trash. It was weird. I just um, didn't like the way they sounded. And at first I thought, well, maybe it's simply the adapter going from the USB-C to the 3.5 millimeter. So then, but then I started trying different headphones with that connector, and it definitely made a difference in terms of the overall quality. And I kept going back and forth using my Sony headphones between the USB C adapter on my phone and using the Shitfula 2 mm-hmm. or the Shitfula I have on my desk through my PC and listening to the exact same file. At first, I truly thought that the Shitfula was giving me way better audio, but the right. more and more, I think I was biasing myself just because I love that, <laughs> that, that Fula so much. Uh, however, I did a lot of critical listening, and in the end, I thought it was pretty damn close. Right. As long as you have appropriately good headphones, the wired adapter that came with it seemed okay. Yeah. But, like you said, I am equally impressed. I have not the newest pair of wireless headphones, Bluetooth, and I'm not even sure what, what specific app decks, if any, it even supports, but right. I was shocked at how good those actually compared to doing the wired connection right into my mobile device. It's. It wasn't... It was entirely usable, <laughs> and I yeah. enjoyed it. It's, and, and, it. And there was no cabling to deal with, let alone adapters and other doohickeys. So, <laughs> so many doohickeys. So many. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting. So there's uh, we've talked about audiosciencereview.com, and audiosciencereview has a guy with an audio precision analyzer who's doing some pretty intense looks at audio products. And something he did not too long ago was comparing... Oh, the uh, Apple's USB-C adapter to the original and the latest version of the Google Pixel headphone adapter. These okay. are all USB-C to headphone adapters. Well, there you go. 
so the Google dongles, if you lose the one that came in the box, are like 12 bucks. Apple's selling theirs for like nine bucks. And it's interesting because from a measurement standpoint, the Apple dongle it measures in a superior fashion. Okay. It, it measures much So there better. is a measurable difference yeah, between them. Well, but it, the question is, is at one point, is it a, a difference you can actually hear? Right. If you have you know a set of planar magnetics that are difficult to drive, it will become much more obvious. For example, oh, right. using an external amp versus you know using the Google amp versus or the Google cable USB C cable versus Cans the Apple that require a lot of yeah. current versus those that do not. Yeah, the heavier the trailer you're, you're towing, the more torque you want, right? But when you look at the numbers on this, the sign-in measurements on the on that Apple USB C adapter, which is a I won't try to explain it right now, but let's say it's the next step beyond total harm. THD plus N or total harmonic distortion plus noise. And the THD plus N numbers are like 0.001 for that Apple USB-C adapter and the Synad's like 98.5, which to put that in perspective is sitting awfully close to the Synad measurements for some stuff that costs like five or $700, $300 to $500. And some stuff that costs considerably less than that, but it's a very, very good measurement. The jitter and noise was much, much lower than the version two of the Pixel. Cool. The Google dongles are not great, but the reality is, is most people aren't trying to drive a 300 ohm headphone off of them. No. And there will Something be more reasonable. than enough power and more than enough clean power. Because like looking at the Pixel 1, you know, in terms of the, the distortion coming up like on a 33 ohm load, you're way below like 0. 0.005 THD plus N percentage. I mean, it's pretty clean. They all seem to do pretty well, but yeah. there is a measurable advantage, though, for the Apple adapter. And maybe yeah. that's something other Whether manufacturers... Or it will actually work with your Android phone is another question, yeah. because there is no set USB standard. Some USB devices don't pass analog over. There's a lot of complicated, messy stuff going on there. And, don't get and me you're started about to... wireless quick charging on Pixel uh, phones. Yeah, that, that'll get you kicking things <laughs> hard. My thought, though, Golden Adam, is if you have an Aptex HD phone running Aptex HD to those Sony WH-1000XM3s, it's probably really, really good. Yeah, that's what I would be using. You know, I, you know, uh, you can experiment with a wired connection. I don't have a Pixel to test an Apple USB-C adapter with, and I don't have an Apple USB-C adapter to test it with. Maybe we could do something with your, Nine your phone and buy yeah. one. Yeah, <laughs> let's go spend $9 and talk about this next week. There we go. But, you know, I got to be honest with you. You know, Aptex HD or LDAC are really, really good if your handset supports them and you don't get into a lot of issues with the music you're streaming. Like, I would... Yeah, I wouldn't fear wireless you know, at this point. You know, I want you on the premium version of Spotify. I want you to entitle lossless. You know, I want you to have FLAC files on your phone. The like, only thing I can think of is maybe you'll run out of power and the ability to recharge your headphones yeah. at a regular basis might be an issue if you're on the road. That's, but yeah. That's what a good power brick can be for, too. So, you know... Anyway. The, a lot of... Yeah, I mean... Sony did a lot of work on those headphones. I suspect that any audio going into that jack on the headphones is going to be fed into the incredibly cool electronics inside the headphone. I don't know for a fact. Maybe you can play around with that golden atom and email ask at avxl.com. Do it! Do it! Thanks to our patrons and your patience with us over the last few weeks. We should have a lot more content flowing for you over the next couple of weeks. We uh, have a meetup to schedule, so we'll figure out a date for that and send it out to you cool. on patreon.com slash avxl, which is the site you can go to to subscribe to help support us in the creation of this podcast. And we appreciate each and every one of you that participates there.
We do. I just want to say one thing. There's apparently a Sopranos prequel happening, which is so complicated. Never uh, got into that. That was an HBO thing. I've never been a big HBO subscriber. So. Oh, man. Well, I'm, I'm we'll sure just, it's good content. There's uh, so much good content, though. I don't know. I also want to say that I'm as the non-analog person that I am, I have to find a cassette deck in decent shape because I found a missing Maxell, 90-minute Maxell tape with a Bob Mould concert from 1991 that a friend gave me a couple years later. I wish he'd given me a copy of the DAT that that tape came from. Pretty sure I don't have a cassette deck anymore. I Uh, think that's gone from the storage unit. There's a Morass Professional cassette deck for sale at an estate sale. Uh, Oh, good golly. (laughs) No. Down near San Jose tomorrow. I am uh, um, I'm on a mission to get rid of some more of the electronics. Anybody needs a set of 5.1 speakers or, uh, <laughs> let's see, I have some high-end 1080p video processors. Hmm. <laughs> Anybody oh, need to convert a lot of video? You have your energies in your storage. Oh, yeah. In the box. Email. Good condition. Ask at AVXL.com. Buy Robert speakers. 100 bucks. <laughs> if you come and get them, 50 bucks. I don't even care anymore. <laughs> So I think you can get a really good set from Monoprice nowadays for like 200 bucks or less. That's a little crazy. Yeah, there, there are good value speaker options out there. So Never underestimate the glory of buying things used on Craigslist. I narrowly missed a pair of Sonos Play 1s for $220 on Craigslist today. That said, you can go on Amazon and buy two brand new Play 1s for $298 and get a $30 Amazon gift certificate. So that brings the price down. To like $130 a Sonos one speaker. Just tempted by the the Vizio P Series Quantum. <laughs> OLED. I need an OLED in the lab. So I'm trying not to buy anything until I get that done. That's I want, a good point. And I, now I'm thinking I might as well just get the 2019. Yeah, I've, I've hammer on that. Uh, I'm just so happy with my new screen. It's the beauty, man. I just did a crazy calibration on really? the display in my bedroom for the first I was like, finally, I get around to doing my own gear. But that thing dialed in beautifully, and it's an older quantum dot television, but, oh, man, watching 4K streaming Netflix on that, HDR, (laughs) or ultra high-def Blu-ray. Speaking of which, I have a few unopened discs left that I really do need to go through. That's that's my plan for this weekend, short of I'm working most of the day tomorrow, though. Oh, man. Calibrating those pixels. I was, uh, what was I watching? Um. Did you watch Bandersnatch on Netflix? No, I was watching. It's uh, probably if, if, it's probably one of the least disturbing Black Mirror episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and if you like choose your own adventure, you'll only is, be slightly terrified for the rest of the week. There's Mr. a couple Gordon. of definitely hardcore scenes. No, and I some mean, you have to relive over and over and over again. No, I was going to say uh, I was thinking a lot about HDR when I was watching a couple scenes in uh, my wife's obsessed with House of Cards. Netflix had to kind of reshoot House of Cards after Kevin Spacey's uh, uh, misbehaviors came to light, killed him off and wrote him out of the final season. It was crazy because I've missed most of like, I want to say season five and caught up with my wife as she was like charging through season six. And I remember seeing off there. several, well, it just, I, I, was, I remember seeing several scenes in that and thinking like, I need to see this on an HDR screen. Oh yeah. Because there's some stuff they shot and it's so dark and I can just see the detail on my screen. And I was just like, Oh, that was some of the first 4K content I looked at streaming too. Yeah. That show in particular, right when it first launched, was one of the few titles. I think that might have been what they 
were showing off at CES a few years ago as the, oh, hey, we have 4K content now, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> But then the HDR, being able to do that high dynamic range with either a very bright object in a dark room type scene yeah. where you can still see all the detail. But I'll go back to it again, and it really is color for me. It's just having that wider color palette that's closer to real life. Mm-hmm. And it just makes everything look damn good, especially content recorded natively in that wider color palette. Or greater and scaled down, either way. <laughs> That'll be I'm trying to think if there's anything on the color front that I've seen recently. I've seen lots of demos for people approaching Rec 2020 color space. And I want to say Japan Display actually had an LCD capable of doing it using RGB lasers in terms of the light source. I'll look that up for next week. Freaking laser beams behind LCDs to get supremely saturated primary colors. Oh my goodness. I also want to give a shout I'll out. Do it. But the- if you like Choose Your Own Adventure, man, check out Bandersnatch. That was actually... I was shocked. I didn't think I was really going to like it at first, but then it was like a couple hours is later. Is it a series or is it... No, it's a one-off show. Okay. And you have to use your remote control to make decisions for the main character. And it starts off with you first oh, selecting funny. what music you want to listen to. There's two tracks. You like okay, put your I'm headphones in. on on the train and then you can select between... And it takes place in the mid-80s, so it's got all the... <laughs> so it's got my childhood. It, it's got a little bit of that nostalgia factor to it and it must have just been a nightmare to produce and put something like that together with the multiple paths you can take through the storyline. And there's some hidden stuff too. It's kind of cool, which was fun. Oh my goodness. Fun discovering. And that's on Netflix? Yeah. Oh my goodness. It even gives you the... If you've never watched it, it'll make you go through like a how-to right up, right up front. It's like, no, pick up your remote. You're going to need it. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Jump off the building. <laughs> that part frightens me. Yeah, there's some of it. Have you seen the Bill Murray stories yet? No. Okay, so there's a documentary on Netflix, The Bill Murray Stories, Life Lessons Learned from a Mythical Man, where they go through and <laughs> they go through and chase down all of the legends that you hear about Bill Murray on the internet. And they chase oh. down a bunch of the people that participated in those and interview them. It's uh, it's epic. Lunacy. With that, ladies and gentlemen, ask at avxl.com is a place to send us questions, or you can tweet at avxl, at Robert Heron, or at Patrick Norton. And please join us next week for another fine blended edition of AVXL. If it's your first episode, welcome. Go to avxl.com to get all of the information on how to get this downloaded into your favorite podcasting tool each and every week. I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL. <laughs>